Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The quote is, we are not safe here. That was a headline in the Globe and Mail. And it's the renewed plea from the Canadian Pivot Airlines crew being detained on bail. And they're facing possible years in prison. And they have faced direct threats to their lives in the Dominican Republic. Now, this uh, is getting close to two months since a drug seizure from their plane, which the Pivot CEO told us previously was impossible to have been smuggled onto the plane by the crew. The crew had informed Canadian authorities when the plane was in the Dominican Republic about discovering unidentified bags, which turned out to be cocaine on the aircraft, and Canada in turn, as I understand it, informed the Dominican Republic government. But it's the crew that is imprisoned, or was imprisoned, they're on, like I said, bail now, but the prosecutors want them back in prison. An article in a Dominican Republic publication seems to suggest the Pivot Airlines crew systematically was smuggling cocaine and using the Dominican Republic to do so. Eric Edmondson is the chief executive officer of Pivot Airlines. Mr. Erickson is back with us. Eric, thank you for coming on the program. How are you? I'm great, Roy, and thanks for, for having me back to discuss this uh, very important topic for us and our crew. Well, it is. It's important for all Canadians as well, because a lot of Canadians vacation in the Dominican Republic, and this may be a, a cautionary uh, uh, yellow flag or amber light about that. Would you remind us of the circumstances which led to the detention of your crew and, and why they were flying to the Dominican Republic? Uh, sure. It, they they were conducting a commercial charter. Um, the crew that got detained flew in the night prior to the um, departure. Uh, it, when they were preparing the aircraft for departure, the uh, mechanic had received an instruction from our Toronto office to go check a maintenance bay to get a computer code that they required. Uh, when he did that, he saw a couple bags of uh, what he suspected was uh, contraband. Uh, of course, you can't look in the bag. You can't touch it. It could be booby-trapped. It could be a bomb. It could be anything. So he uh, informed the captain. The captain, in turn, informed our office in Toronto. Our office in Toronto informed the RCMP and also uh, the Dominican local police. At the time, the, uh, the police came out and had a look. They took two bags off of the airplane uh, they gave the airplane back to the crew, and I think they had intended for us to depart again. And what we've learned since is our crew had to say, hey, guys, you got to come back. You forgot some uh, bags on the airplane here. you got to turn your heads around. Uh, there's, there's a lot more uh, contraband on the aircraft. So not only did our crew inform the police once, they had to call them back and say, hey, you missed a whole bunch of bags. Four or five later, hours later, they got uh, they got detained. They were told they were only being put away for their safety. We found that out as well recently. But instead, they were thrown in a narcotics jail with uh, under horrific conditions where they received death threats, extortion threats, and uh, were treated extremely inhumanely. So when exactly did this take place? It's close to two months ago, isn't it? It, it was two months ago. It was uh, April 5th. Okay. So, yeah, almost exactly. Tomorrow, two months. <laughs> so, and, and I, I know from our last conversation that Captain Raymond Hall, who's listening in, he'll join us after you and I speak, as he did last time, former 767 captain and lawyer, 
pointed out that on that particular aircraft, which you told us was out in the open, it would be extremely difficult to smuggle two, 10, 20 bags of cocaine into a tiny compartment that you can only access from the flight deck, yes? Uh, yeah, you can only access it from outside of the aircraft. It's in the belly of the airplane, sorry, yes. And when we sort of timed this out, uh, running some trials, it would take about 45 minutes to conduct that operation. And, uh, of course, the, uh, the narco traffickers weren't too concerned about, you know, what they did in the bay, if they were jostling computers or loosening wires. But even with, without having any care into how they um, secured the contraband, it's a 45-minute process. Okay. There's a story in this, and I, I faxed you the or <laughs> I'm dating myself here. I uh, emailed you the story, story in the Dominican Republic publication, which appears to track the flights your plane took in and out of the Dominican Republic, and they seem to suggest it was being used for drug smuggling purposes, which suits the narrative of the of the prosecutors. Would you address that? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So what they got right in that article was our aircraft registration, and that's where the correct facts uh, sort of stop. However, I, I guess I couldn't say that. Um, when they do say we had several flights in the area, that's true. But, um, you know, if, if someone were to Google for even 15 seconds, they would have found uh, the reason why. And I'll, I'll clear that up, too. So during uh, COVID, uh, Pivot Airlines conducted 292 flight missions. Uh, 51% of those missions were for the federal government of Canada or the provincial government. Um, of that, 21%, so a full 21% of our flights during COVID were for law enforcement, um, Department of National Defense, and the Canadian Coast Guard. And 20% of those were for um, what we would call safety-sensitive uh, responses, things like carrying tactical teams and emergency response, perhaps uh, uh, ev evacuating uh, people with a uh, forest fire evacuation. So, you know, that, that's part of why our crew is so disappointed in the government during COVID. They were doing the heavy lifting. They went to work every day. They transported uh, members of the Canadian Forces, the RCMP, the Ontario Provincial Police, and they did so safely, uh, dutifully, and under very difficult situations. And of course, you know, now where is the government? So, you know, what the what the article had right is we also did a lot of flying into Suriname and Suriname is a place where uh, cocaine transits and, and is grown so it is a hub of trafficking but we were there uh, for a uh, international publicly traded gold mine who provides 24 7 security for not only the crew but for the aircraft and finally during the Omicron variant we had a contract with Inter-Caribbean Airways which is actually the Dominican Republic's local airline their actual airline, how they, the locals travel from island to island. Uh, we were there during the Omicron variant when the local airline had crew problems. We went down and we, we helped. And, uh, of course, we were flying back and forth between Dominican Republic. And, and we, our base was in Providencialis, the Turks and Caicos, uh, flew to Jamaica and all sorts of places during the Caribbean. So when they did a, a quick tail search, they saw, hey, you guys have been down there a lot. That doesn't quite make a ton of sense. But all they had to do was a little bit of diligence, and uh, that would have been straightened up. And you know what? If, if any law, and aid, uh, law enforcement agency bothered to ask us, and by the way, no one from the Dominican Republic has bothered to ask why we've been down there. Uh, we've been providing, uh, for example, to the RCMP our contracts 
Uh, of course, we don't have to provide them contracts for the flights we did for them, including you know their, the uh, the drug responses that we did with them for their tactical team. They were obviously on our flights, but um, for every everyone else, we've provided them contracts, including with the Department of National Defense and the Canadian Coast Guard. Eric Edmondson is the CEO of Pivot Airlines. He's with us, and uh, back with us is former Air Canada 767 captain and lawyer Raymond Hall. How are you, Raymond? I'm doing well, don't worry. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you want to say out of the gate here? Just you've been listening to Mr. Edmondson. What strikes you? We have a real problem in terms of airline operations, and I think the government is uh, not doing enough, as you suggest, because of the... Uh, the potential liability, not just for the Dominican Republic, but for any other uh, uh, Canadian airline crew that travels, that goes to work in the morning and expects to get home at night or the next night after a short layover and winds up in one of these jails in, a, in essentially a third-world country. The problem in the Dominican Republic, as I see it, is primarily uh, the, uh, the justice system is very, very backward. They use a Napoleonic code, and nobody there is in a hurry to get anything done. Their investigations of any type of alleged criminal behavior can take up to a a year to accomplish, and the people that are affected by it stay languishing, usually in jail for a short period of time, sometimes uh, a full year, depending on the length of the uh, the seriousness of the offense, but also uh, waiting for the investigation to complete before they can even uh, get out of the country because they've uh, been deprived of their passports. Eric, what is going on with your crew uh, right now? Where are they? What are their concerns? What is their immediate future look like? And what's our federal government doing for them? Well, Raymond, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. And Roy, thanks for the question. Our, our crew is very concerned for their safety. We have daily security briefings. Uh, there's ebbs and flows into the security risks for them. We have 24-hour, uh, seven-day-a-week armed guards. Uh, we keep them in a location. Uh, they're, they're together, but we move them periodically as we have threat assessments and the requirement for that. But they're also very scared to go back into prison. They received death threats when they were in prison. They had a dead body placed in front of them and said, this is going to be you guys unless you um, give us money. They had daily attempts at extortion. They were told to sleep in in toilets for several days. They went four days without food. They truly believed the last day that they were in prison, they were going to be killed that night. They had several threats that day, uh, based largely on what the judge had said, that they were informants on the cartel. And they believe if if this appeal is successful to put them back into this prison, that they will be killed. It's a one-way ticket. They're not coming back out. They're convinced of that. So they're obviously very scared. And and I'll also say um, there's been no investigation yet. You would think if you had prime suspects that you threw in jail and took passports from, that you would at least interrogate them, investigate them, um, interview them, maybe say, hey, how did you get on this flight? Did you volunteer for it? Were you scheduled for it? They have done nothing. They haven't talked to these people. It's now two months, and they haven't talked to these people. And what is Ottawa doing, Eric? Uh, Ottawa, uh, from our perspective, you know, we don't know what they're doing behind the scenes. Um, quite frankly, whatever they're doing through the back door, and they may be working through backdoor channels, we want them to start coming through the front door like the advocates for Canadians they claim to be because these people are in danger, their lives are in danger, they're not being afforded due process, and it's very likely... They'll never come home if things continue like they are without intervention. And the government has to change their tactics. If they are working behind the scenes, and I'm not aware of it, but if they are, start coming through the front door. Uh, You have to advocate for Canadian safety. 
And, you know, on, on the counselor side and on the embassy side, they have been very good. One of our crew members, the mechanic at BK, has uh, was sworn in this past week as a Canadian citizen. He was an Indian uh, national on a permanent residency in Canada, so they went through great lengths to have him sworn in at the embassy on Canadian soil. That was a, a terrific news story, but at the same time, he shouldn't be there, and they have to bring them home. So you're you're clearly afraid for their lives. Oh, they're absolutely afraid for their lives. They they received bona fide death threats when they were in prison. They received bona fide threats for their lives outside of prison. And you're afraid for them as well, clearly. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's what we, myself and the rest of our team, think about every day. It's what we work on every day from the time we get up until the time we go to bed. Uh, Raymond uh, is a multi-decade airline pilot, captain. Um, this must be just, just cut you to the quick. It, it's very scary, Roy, uh, from a professional point of view. And, and it's not just Canadian. Uh, the uh, pivot pilots are, are members of the Airline Pilots Association of the United States, so the United States airlines are affected as well by it. But can I suggest that there is leverage there? Uh, it's just that the government hasn't been listening. 827,000 Canadians a year visit Punta Cana and other destinations of the Dominican Republic. We have $253 million of exports and over seven, almost $700 million of imports. So there's leverage that this government can use. And the political administration is really seriously attempting in Dominican Republic with a new president to try and get rid of the corruption, get rid of the crime, and, and improve the relationship with the rest of the world. And so I think there's an opening there if the government chooses to use it. Okay, I have uh, I have one just ninety seconds left, uh, Eric. What happens next? Uh, is there a plan, or are you essentially just living this situation day by day and responding to whatever is happening? Uh, we continue to look for the small victories. I don't think there's a big, um, you know, grand slam that's going to happen here. So we we keep chipping away both on at, with the private investigative firm that we've hired and the legal process, and we just continue to advocate for our crew, and they continue to advocate for themselves. I think from the DR perspective, they have to decide if they want to continue to be a narco state or if they want to be a vacation destination, but they can't do both. Yeah. Raymond, I think what you're suggesting is is absolutely uh, spot on. A few hundred thousand vacation cancellations might send a message. And even even a warning would do it. That, that's where the diplomacy comes in. It, it's, the, uh, the, it's called the diplomatic toolkit in professional terms. And we've got lots of tools in that toolkit, and we're not apparently not using them. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.